I have not been in prison. I thought I was getting close once while in first year university. My friend and I were driving through the streets of Lethbridge, Alberta on a sunny spring day after our final round of university exams. And we thought, what a better way to celebrate than to collect some snowballs in the cab of his grandfather's truck and drive around the streets of Lethbridge hurling snowballs at other vehicles. <laughs> Might I add that he was a pre-med student and I was a pre-dentistry student? Fine, upstanding citizens. At any rate, this end of semester celebration did not end well. It turns out that people can report you to the police by giving the license plate to the local authorities? And they can trace you down and find out where you live and what your phone number is? Yes, officer, I can come down to the station. Yes, I'll be there right away. Yes, yes, click. It was 1987 that there was a click to this. <laughs> I have not been in prison, but that was a scary time. I was fearful for my future. There were all these uh, questions and misgivings and what ifs that swirled around in my mind and my imagination. What have I done? What should I do now? Help! So perhaps we too quickly whisk by verse 2 of today's text, where it says, John, when John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing. John has been captured by the evil King Herod Antipas and his forces. And we don't know how the trial went, but we know that John lands in prison. And it was just months earlier that he was leading this fiery and famous shake-your-fists-at-the-oppressive-empire rally. Thousands of people were being baptized by the River Jordan out in the wilderness. And it was just a few months ago that he baptized Jesus, the one whose sandal buckles he felt unworthy to untie, the one who would eclipse him in so many ways, the one who he declared about with boldness and honor, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. But apparently, being in prison, in solitary confinement, in a dark and dank prison cell, makes you give way to doubts and disillusionment, misgivings. And in times of isolation and separation, sometimes our hearts and our minds are prone to wander and wonder. And so John wonders and he ponders his past choices, his life, his future. Where is Jesus? What, what is he doing and, and who is he spending time with? I stood up for him. I fought for him. Surely could he not come and fight for me? My second cousin, the one who I literally flipped in the womb for. Surely he should and could do something for me. I proclaimed him the chosen one. Could he not spend a little bit of his energies doing some diplomatic work on my behalf? Now fortunately, John still had his disciples 
who could do some of his work in bidding outside his prison cell. So he sends them to Jesus and they ask Jesus the question, are you really the one? Or are we to wait for another? The subtext for John here is, because if I got this all wrong, I need to get my people doing some other work. Jesus answers, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have good news brought to them. These phrases should have resonated with John quite vividly because he was not only Jesus' cousin, they were fellow prophets. And John would have heard the echoes of Yahweh's prophets in these words. We've heard some prophetic words already today in the Isaiah reading. Be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come and save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Now we don't get a report on how John received this message. But might we pause to ponder how we hear and see the words of Jesus in these days. For to be sure, we hear this story quite differently than we would have about a year ago, or even five months ago. Because perhaps, too, we feel like we're in places of isolation. Perhaps we've lost our bearings. Perhaps we are in places of frustration, or anger, or hurt, disappointment, or loss. We know of these places of darkness. We know losses. Or we hear the stories of those near to us. The loss of finances or job security, the loss of future hopes, the dashed plans, the life that feels like it's on hold, the circumstances that are tense, the relationships that are tenuous. And in these uncertain places, it's normal and realistic for fears and doubts to arise. And so we feel John's pain and anguish. And if Jesus' second cousin is overwhelmed by doubt, then maybe it's not so terrible that we too have our own times of doubt and disillusionment. So maybe you want to cry out or get a message to Jesus today, Jesus, are you the one? Are we supposed to wait for another way? You know how much hope and energy and faith and devotion I've put into this life of following you, and now I feel like I've got nothing. I'm headed nowhere. Are you for real? Are you the one? Is this really worth it? Why won't you fix this mess we're in? More injustice? More evil regimes? More oppressive measures? You need to stop. Step up and give me some answers. Apparently, if we stand alongside John today... Jesus doesn't give us easy answers. 
no pithy sayings, no flowery words of just let go and let God. Instead, it's go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind, the lame, the diseased, the dead, the poor hear good news. And then Jesus adds another beatitude. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense in me. And then, though it appears that John does not get on on this part of the message, Jesus goes to give John the biggest accolade and compliment ever recorded. Jesus says, Truly I tell you, no woman has ever given birth to a greater man than John the Baptist. Dang, I hope that he got that part of the message. Because if he was disappointed that Jesus didn't directly answer his are you the one question, at least he'd have some solace in knowing that he was Jesus' favorite human being. And then we read that Jesus gives this first place human being (laughs) uh, platitude and compliment to John, but then there's more fascinating news. We read, yet the least significant person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. Wow! So let's get this straight. John the Baptist is the greatest human being ever born of a woman, but the least in the kingdom is greater than him? What does that mean? And I want to get in touch with some of the least of these, don't you? Well, friends and followers of Jesus, we know where to go, don't we? When things get odd and unsettling in the book of Matthew, we go back to the Beatitudes, back to the basics, back to the pillars and the foundations of Jesus' heart and ministry. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The least in the kingdom are the poor, the mourning, the meek, the hungry, the merciful, the peacemakers, the persecuted. And it's when we walk in their ways, when we come alongside them in the places that we are called to serve and dwell, that we get in on the blessings of the kingdom of heaven. In these places, we see and hear the one. We hear Jesus' words of reassurance as we align our hopes and dreams and energies alongside those who are the least, the last, and the lost. That's the fantastic news for us in today's Jesus story. It's good news from Jesus and God's generous and merciful heart. It echoes the Isaiah blessings. Everlasting joy then falls upon our heads. We obtain gladness. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And so Jesus closes his speech with an exhortation. Let anyone with ears listen. So I invite you this morning or this day where you're hearing this meditation and this message to pause and listen. 
Listen for your way to participate in the kingdom of heaven this week. Or perhaps listen for the affirmation that you've already seen and heard the one. Because the clue here is that seeing and hearing the one, seeing the kingdom and sensing the kingdom of God is found amongst the blind, the lame, the deaf, and the poor those who are often in the margins. That when we come alongside those who are downcast, the bullied, the overlooked, the shamed, the forsaken, in those places where we listen, we see one. Every time we live as Jesus lived and love as Jesus loved, we bring the healing hope and mercies of the one. So I want us to pause, maybe for 30 seconds, to help us be on the way this week. And maybe our prayer is to our living God. Spirit, help us to listen. May we have ears to hear your voice, reassuring us, urging us, encouraging us to stay faithful, or to take those small steps where we might grow in the way that we live as Jesus lived and love as Jesus loved. We're going to give us 30 seconds to start listening anew to Jesus. And then I'll close with a prayer. And if you uh, are reading the multi-page order of service, you'll see this prayer at the end of the prayer. That's found on our church services website. 30 seconds of silence to listen, and then I'll close with some phrases from this prayer called, called Beyond Comfort Zones. Open our ears, Lord. Help us to listen. We thank you for the call, for the burden of that call, for the risk that goes with it, for the joy of words given us by your growing spirit, and for the newness that sometimes comes from our word. We are on most days a hard mix of true prophet and wayward voice, a mix of your call to justice and our hope for shalom. Here we are, as we are, mixed but faithful, compromised but committed, anxious but devoted to you. Use us and our gifts for your newness that pushes beyond all that we can say 
or imagine. We are grateful for words given us. We are more grateful for your word fleshed among us.